Well, good morning again. If you haven't been with us, we've been um, going through the book of Galatians. Uh, what we like to do here is go through books of the Bible and try and find the uh, authorial intent or the main idea of text. And we try to bring that meaning out uh, and see what it meant to the original audience and what it's going to mean to us ultimately. And then how it's significant to us in unique ways. And so we're in the book of Galatians. We've come to the part in chapter 5. And uh, we're going to be in verses 16 through 24 today. Again, that's the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, the large numbers are going to be the chapter numbers, and the small numbers are going to be the verse numbers. And I believe that in the Pew Bible, it's on page 826. I could be wrong, though. So if you can't find it there, it doesn't say Galatians at the top of the page. Uh, keep flipping. So just to, to recap a little bit of what we've done, Paul, uh, last week we saw in 13 through 15, was talking about Christian freedom and how true freedom actually takes place inside of restrictions. If you recall, we talked about how a fish is only free in as long as it's in water, right? It gets oxygen from the water around it. And so it's only free in an environment in which it's surrounded by water. If we take that fish and we put him on land, he's not going to do too well, right? He's going to flop around for a little bit, but eventually he's going to die because he's operating outside of his proper restrictions. And so in the same way with the fish that needs to be surrounded by water, true freedom takes place inside of God's holy laws. Because God has designed this world, he's designed man to function best, to flourish inside of his righteous requirements, which are in harmony with, in tune with, his perfect character. See, the law shows us how we might best love God and how we are to best live. And then we we talked a little bit about Paul's relationship with the law. All of Galatians, he's been telling us, you don't have to keep the law. Not by works, not by works, not by works. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ, by grace alone, that you are saved. We've been saying, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Not by works. And that's true. And last week, Paul showed us that even though we're free from the law, that doesn't mean a freedom to sin. We're free from sin, not free to sin. And so as Christians, we uh, live out this freedom in Christ, which true freedom is the freedom to love God, to desire the things of God, to be obedient in all the things that He's called us to do. And we function inside of His good and perfect design for our lives. That's what we said true freedom was. We said that this freedom expresses itself through love. The love of one another. Wherein we seek the joy of one another as our own joy. And as we're changed by Christ, and more and more into Christ-likeness day by day, we desire God more and more. We have a desire for holiness. God changes us. And this morning, Paul's going to flesh that idea out a little bit more. He's saying we're not free to sin, to do whatever we want. No, we're not under the condemnation of the law for our sin. Christ has paid the cost for us. We are justified by His blood. But we are to fulfill the law by loving one another. And so this morning, what we're, we're going to see is a contest, if you will. You might want to think of it like a boxing ring. In one corner, we'll have the flesh. And in the other corner, we'll have the spirit. But before we do all that, uh, let me read the passage and uh, we'll pray. And then we'll really get started. Galatians 5, starting with verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify 
the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Would you pray with me? God, we ask this morning that you would help us to hear that your word that uh, changes hearts, transforms lives, wouldn't uh, fall against hard soil, but that you would uh, till up our hearts, that we might hear, that the seed of the gospel might be planted, and that it might grow. Father, uh, help me to speak words this morning that are in accord with uh, what you want to communicate through this text. Father, use uh, inadequate language and inadequate uh, preaching and inadequate listeners to make your name great, to accomplish your good purpose. Lord, we thank you for all things. We thank you for your word. We pray these things by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we said that there's going to be a contrast, right? On the one hand, we have the flesh. And on the other hand, we have the Spirit. So here, here's some of that. If you want to picture it in your mind, the juxtaposition, we're going to set them up against each other. On one side, you have the Spirit. On the other side, you have the flesh. So under the flesh, we would have self-salvation. It seeks its own. Those that live by the flesh are under the law. The desires of the flesh are sin. On the other side, we have the Spirit. And in the Spirit, it's salvation by grace through faith. It seeks its own, I'm sorry, it seeks its own joy as the joy of others. It's free to fulfill the law by love. And it's not sin desiring, it's God desiring. If you notice in the text in front of you, the word desires appears uh, quite a few times. And that, that's to put emphasis on it. That the things that the flesh and the spirit desire are diametrically opposed. They are against one another. It's actually translated elsewhere in the Bible, this word desires. It's translated lust elsewhere. And it, it can literally be translated as an over-desire. It's a deep desire, a yearning. The sense is a longing after or a craving for. I like the word craving there because I think it helps me uh, have, a uh, have a bit of a bigger, better picture of what it is that the flesh and the spirit are after. They crave things. And the cravings of the spirit of God are very, very different from the cravings of the flesh. Just like uh, my wife and I, our cravings might be different. I crave cookies and candy. When she was pregnant, she craved Caesar salad. So they're different. Our desires are opposed to one another. We want different things. I even think that yesterday morning I woke up uh, quite early for myself uh, to, to try and get the sermon re ready, and I, I wanted one thing, uh, and it's pretty much any morning, no matter what time I wake up, but I go straight to that coffee. I need to get coffee. I have a craving for it. 
That's the idea here, is that there's a craving within us. There's flesh and there's spirit, and they desire things. They desire things, and those desires drive us. See, he uses this phrase, uh, they keep, keep us from doing what you want to do. The flesh keeps us from doing what the spirit desires. And the spirit seeks to keep us from doing what the flesh desires. Paul captures a little bit of this sentiment in uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, when he says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. There is an intense, fierce struggle between the already and the not yet within the believer, within the Christian. You see, we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. We're declared right in the eyes of God. But we have not yet become actually righteous, right? We're not perfect. We've said that we're not perfect. And so, there's this old part of us. That's what we're talking about when we say the flesh. It's not that our bodies are bad, our bodies are good. When we resurrect, we'll have new heavenly bodies. But this sin-desiring aspect of ourselves, that's what still remains. And it's against the Spirit. It wars against the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, which came into our hearts when we were declared righteous by faith. And so, there is this tension. You see, sin remains in the believer, but it does not reign in the believer. It remains, but it does not reign. So, there is this sin-desiring aspect of us that will creep up a lot. And there's also the spirit-desiring aspect of us. See, the normal Christian life is marked not by passive perfection, but by warfare. There is an intense war within each of us. Now, if we are followers of Christ, we can take heart because we know that this war is won. We can view this battle from the vantage point of victory. We know this because as Christ, as we grow in Christ, we know that our affections will be continually changing, that we'll be changed from one degree of glory to the next. We'll become more and more like Him until He finally returns to perfect us. We said like a boxing match, right? You, you've heard the boxing announcers make the, they have the, the sweet voice. And in this corner, weighing in at 222 pounds, the flesh. You know, and in this corner, weightless and you can't see it, the spirit, right? I don't, I don't know how they get those voices going. But that's the idea is they're, they're going at each other. And while it's going to be that the flesh might land some body blows, there are going to be some times in our lives where we give in to temptations, where we sin, where we do the works of the flesh. Ultimately, it's not a losing fight. The flesh is never going to land a left hook and just knock us out cold. You see, it's already been dealt a final blow. It's mortally wounded. It's bleeding. And it will die. Just not yet. It still is in there a little bit. There's the the tension. It remains, but it does not reign in us. Paul gives us two commands here. He says, we are to walk by the Spirit And we are to be led by the Spirit. We're to struggle vehemently against the flesh. You see, the Spirit's going to energize and empower our obedience so that we cannot take credit for our victories. 
But at the same time, we can't blame our defeat on others. Thomas Schreiner says it like this, On one hand, believers must choose to live by the Spirit, while on the other hand, the Spirit empowers believers to live a life pleasing to God. In other words, we are not victims of our biology or of our environment. We cannot say, the devil made me do it. I'm sure you've heard that one. Cannot say, the devil made me do it. As Alistair Begg says, I love this, every sin is an inside job. Every sin is an inside job. It's your responsibility. Perhaps you might think of it like this. Uh, If you're on a sailboat in the sea, you have to set your sails, right? And whichever way you set your sails is going to dictate how you catch the wind and where your boat goes. So you will either set your sails for the winds of temptation or for the Holy Spirit. How will you set your sails? I'm down to to verse 18 now, if you're following along. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We dealt with this a little bit at our introduction and said that our freedom from the law is not a freedom to sin, but rather a freedom from sin. Sin remains. And so sinful desires are experienced. But we do not indulge those desires. You know, you're you're sitting back on, on a Sunday afternoon and you're watching the television and uh, a suspect program comes on and you think, this isn't good for my heart. I should probably change the channel. And at that moment, you either choose to continue watching. That's <laughs> ah, okay. I'll just watch this. Or you turn it off and do something else. This is perhaps not a great illustration, but perhaps even the thought that, hey, maybe I shouldn't be watching this. Maybe I should be acting differently is from the Spirit. And then the action, the actually doing, listening, the yielding is on you to actually turn the the channel off or to remain. See, we're going to have desires, but which desires we entertain and indulge is on us. We are responsible. The Spirit gives us victories, and we choose defeat. We actually have to combat sin. We can't sit back and self-justify And say things like, of course I lust. I'm an American man after all. Or, it's okay that I read this really filthy novel. Everyone else is. It's okay. Or, it's fine that I yell expletives at this person that cut me off in traffic because, well, they shouldn't have cut me off. Idiot. I'm guilty of that one myself a lot. Uh, But we can't justify these works of the flesh, these things that creep up within us. We cannot pretend that we do not know what sin is. We can't plead ignorance before God. After all, Paul tells us explicitly, the works of the flesh are evident, we're in verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Man, Paul's list isn't even exhaustive here. He says, and things like these, it goes on and on and on. The beat goes on. There are three categories in the things that he does list. The one is sexual, the second is spiritual, and the third is relational. See, I fear that we have allowed sin to become so commonplace that we no longer abhor it. It's become palatable to us so that we no longer sense its reprehensible stench. It's like we can't smell it. So Paul is, he's blunt with the Galatians. He says, it's evident what sin is. 
But let me be as, as blunt as Paul is here, in case you're unsure, in the first category. Sexual sin. Premarital sex is a sin. Sexual activity outside of marriage is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Bisexuality is a sin. Trial marriage is a sin. Sex with someone not your spouse is a sin. Viewing pornography is a sin. Any sexual activity that occurs outside of God's design of heterosexual, monogamous marriage is a sin. This sensuality that is presupposed in our literature, exalted in our movies and prevalent in our age, is forbidden, it is taboo, it is sinful, it is destructive. We've got to get this through our heads, especially the younger of us. No matter what our culture says, no matter what your peers say, sexuality is a sensitive thing. Being a sensitive thing, it brings with it intense pain when it's misused, when it's ripped out of its proper context. Despite the lie of safe sex in our culture, sex is never safe. I think this is uh, illustrated this, just this week as uh, the Huffington Post reported that one in four college students will have a sexually transmitted disease in their first year at university. One in four. Safe sex. Sexuality is something that's holy. It's a good gift given by God. But if abused, if used under the wrong restrictions... It becomes a slavery rather than a freedom. It all depends on how your sails are set. I think this also illustrates to us the beauty of marriage. It's a protection. It's a privilege. And it's a freedom. After all, God designed sexuality to function freely and to flourish inside of marriage. Much like He has designed humanity to flourish inside of His laws. On to the second category. This one won't be as awkward for you, I imagine. Everybody always tenses up when you talk about sex in church. Second category is spiritual. And it has to do with, the words here are idolatry and sorcery. We'll get to sorcery in a second. So some of you are going, what? Magic? Sorcerers? We'll get there. Um, Paul here, he's pointing out that trying to manipulate the spiritual to bring about our own desires is sin. When you try to manipulate spiritual things to get your own gain, it's sin. We're guilty of this in a few different ways. Let me try and illustrate it for you. If you do this, God, if you just do this for me, then I'll do this. Try to broker with God. Try to oblige him. We try to put him in our debt. Or, you know, God, if I go to church every Sunday, then you will save me. That's religion. That's not the gospel. Or for the Galatians, if I believe in Jesus and am circumcised, then you'll save me. Not the gospel. You cannot manipulate the spiritual to bring about your own results. Remember, for them, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Or maybe it looks like this, and I saw this when I was in college all the time. A guy would kind of start to like a gal, you know, and he would sit down with her at a table. And if you were in Christian circles, they, they called it DTR, which was defining the relationship. You know, like, where are we at is like a big talk. So, you know, we've been hanging out in groups, and I just, you know, I really think that maybe we should start dating. And the girl would sit across from the guy and say, you know, the Lord is really leading me into a time of singleness right now. 
And so, I just, I can't, it's time. Guys, if you've heard this, then uh, I hate to break it to you, but the truth is, she's just not into you, all right? You know, in my circumstances, you turn around, and and a week later, uh, the Lord had called her into a time of togetherness, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) And so, we're not to manipulate the spiritual to bring about our own desires. Don't use God as an excuse for decisions that you've made. Don't use Him to mitigate your circumstances. God told me this. God called me to do this. Really? Are you sure? Because you better be. If you presume to speak for the Lord. Do not manipulate the spiritual to bring about your desired result. It's idolatry. Sin. The word translated sorcery here is really an interesting word. It carries with it connotations of like magical and all that. So you're going, wow, magicians, that's awesome. You know, like I love, for me, I'm going, I love Harry Potter. I thought that was great. But, but really, this word in the Greek, it, it, it's the word that we get our word pharmaceutical from, right? Pharmaceuticals. And so the idea is using a substance that will alter the mind. You might ask yourself, well, why would they use a substance to alter the mind? I'm not, how does this fit with idolatry? Well, what they would do is they would fake a work of the Holy Spirit. They would fake an experience with God. You take these drugs and then you would claim it was a spiritual experience. You would manipulate the spiritual to their own end. And it's sin. It's a work of the flesh. Uh, the next few in the list are enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All these point to how the flesh destroys relationships, how it destroys relationships. The first four are typically attitudes that are negative, that are unchristlike, that we hold. And then the second four in that list are typically the results of those attitudes that we hold. For instance, you have a fit of anger and it results in divisions. The question that came to my mind here is, how are you treating others? Is your attitude like that of Christ Jesus? Are there rivalries in divisions among us? Is there envy? Now, envy is a, a fun word, I think. I always, when, I, when I try to think about what it means, it, it kind of is like, I just want to take somebody else's candy. That's, that's basically what it is. You see someone else has something, and you want it, and so you take it from them. My wife had candy from me this week, not because she wanted it, but she just didn't want me to have it. So it's kind of how you can think of envying. Is, is somebody wants, you want to take something from someone. You don't want them to have it. You want it as your own. Who are you envying? Is there a position that you want that somebody else has? Somebody doing something that you think you are more qualified to do? Where are you envying? How are you treating others? Are you seeking their joy as your own? Is your freedom in Christ expressing itself through love? Or are you manifesting works of the flesh? The last two, drunkenness and orgies, are in reference to substance abuse. And the two words are actually linked. Uh, Orgies here are not sexual, but they're related to kind of a drunken gathering where maybe like a rave party today, I don't know, where everybody's getting together and they're all just getting slammed out of their minds, don't know where they are. They're pleasure-seeking. They're hedonists. See, the work of the flesh is is hedonism. The work of the Spirit is uh, what John Piper has called Christian hedonism. 
where we seek our pleasure in God because he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Are you satisfied in the Lord this morning? Or are you seeking your pleasure elsewhere? Are you abusing the good gifts of God to make them into God things? Exchanging the creator for created things? As it says in Romans, are you exchanging? Last week we used C.S. Lewis's long quote. He says, we're content to make mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is offered by a holiday at the sea. Are you slumming it? Or are you at the sea? Many of these things have been dismissed in our culture as sin. Indeed, many are afraid to preach about them because they don't want to be aligned with fundamentalist Baptists or uh, old school traditions, fire and brimstone preaching. Don't sin. Well, that's gone out of style a little bit, and that's, I'm not, I don't intend to be fire and brimstone this morning. But I do intend to tell you, do not sin. It is destructive. You want to flourish? You want the best for your life? You want true satisfaction? Come to Jesus. War with the flesh. Live by the Spirit. God has said these things are sin. They are sin. We would do well to heed Paul's warning here. Look with me, if you will. I think it's verse uh, 21. In the second part of it. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying if you slipped up once or twice and done one of these things, sorry, you're out. No, we've been justified in Christ and we've talked about how we'll continue to sin. The mark of the Christian is not perfection, but warfare. And because we're in Christ, we're going to win more battles than we lose. But we will lose some. What what he's talking about here is a habitual pattern of living. Where you're habitually living by the flesh rather than the spirit. Both have a craving. Which one do you feed? Whichever one you feed is the one that's going to grow up and be most strong within you. If it turns out that the flesh is stronger than the spirit, it's more well fed. Then there is a problem. And you might need to evaluate, do I really know Jesus? Is he my treasure? Get a lot of amens when you, you preach this sometimes. And I want to point out, he's, Paul here is talking to Christians. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. And we would do well to heed his warning. This is a check engine light on the dash or caution, hot on the side of a coffee cup or a yield sign while merging or a hurricane that's coming just off the coast. We would do well to heed the warning. But instead, we we treat it kind of like some of those, uh, you've seen drugs advertised on television, I'm sure, and they they make it look like great. The people are like usually walking on the beach and it's beautiful outside. They're having just a pleasant time. And at the end of the commercial, it's like, warning, Side effects are, they say it so fast you can't even understand what they're talking about. I've even heard one side effect was death on on one of the commercials recently. But still people, people take prescription drugs. I'm not saying don't take prescription drugs. But the idea here is that we've become so desensitized to sin and to Paul's warning that we don't even take time to stop 
and to think, do I need to repent? Instead, we ignore that check engine light and keep driving. We scald ourselves by taking a a drink of that coffee. I do that all the time. Don't you? Oh, it's not that hot. (laughs) Or perhaps we stay in our home when a hurricane's coming. Cannot ignore the warning of Paul. We must repent. Must not deceive ourselves either. You can dress up your sins very, very nicely. Cover them in chocolate. But eventually, we're going to get to the trashy center. You can make sin look good, but it will fool no one. Now, uh, to avoid uh, some fits of anger and divisions, uh, I'm going to take a, call a little audible here. We're not going to make it all the way through the text. There's, the way I do sermons is uh, there's a point of no return. And kind of like in a plane, there's a point of no return. You have to take off eventually once you reach a certain speed. And uh, if I continue on, we're going to be here too long. And so uh, we're going to take a detour. Um, we're going to go to a parable in Luke chapter 13. We're going to go to Luke chapter 13. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 9 uh, pretty quickly here. And then we'll close, I promise. So Luke chapter 13, verses 5 through 9. And I don't know what page that one's on. So Luke 13, 5 through 9. Jesus says, Now I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig, and I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And Jesus said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put manure on it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Friends, we haven't got to the the fruit of the Spirit portion of this yet. We've just set up the flesh and talked about the works of the flesh. But if we are in Christ, and what that means is we believe in Him. We've come to Him. We've trusted Him with our life. We're yielding to the Holy Spirit within us. We've set our sails Godward because we desire the things of God because He has regenerated our hearts. He's changed our hearts. We're acknowledging that, yes, the law said that I should obey these things and I have failed. I am a sinner and I have fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came and lived the life I should have lived and died the death that I should have died. And I am crucified with Him. In the life I now live, I live by faith. And just as He rose from the dead, so too shall I rise in newness of life. God has declared me right with Him. He's coming. He's coming to make me perfect. He's adopted me as a son. If you remember back in chapter 4. He's called us sons. And we need not look back towards the orphanage any longer. To newness of life. But here's the rub. If you have heard the gospel, and you are truly in Christ, fruit will come. We'll talk about that next week a little bit. But look at this fig tree in Luke. If there are no figs, cut it down. It has another year. Heed Paul's warning and heed this warning. You have heard the gospel and you are responsible. 
set your sails and to trust in the Holy Spirit. It will be next year soon. Do not wait to come to Christ. Do not wait until you're older, until you've got all the sin out of you. A, you'll never get it out of you, and that's just a a poor approach. Uh, God is so much better. There's so much more joy. There's true satisfaction in Christ. But Jesus is coming. And you'll either rise with Him, or you will be cut down. Now I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near when He started His ministry. Peter, when he preached the gospel at Pentecost, said, repent and be baptized. This morning, I'm telling you, repent of the works of the flesh. Set your sails for the Spirit. Believe in Christ alone for your salvation, by grace alone. This is not a white knuckle, do it yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, try harder, be in church more, read your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. Although spiritual disciplines are good, I like that y'all come to church. It's good when you read your Bible. But that's not what saves you. Jesus plus nothing is everything, and that's still the drum that Paul's beating even here. But when you have Jesus, your desires change, and He becomes your true delight, your treasure. Indeed, you're willing to sell everything and follow Him. So I ask you this morning, are you in danger of being cut down? Or will you bear fruit? So we come to sing our hymn of invitation. I ask that you would bow your heads in prayer with me. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are good and that you use people as weak and as worthless as ourselves because in your eyes, in Christ, we have infinite value. Lord, we thank you that you have called us sons and daughters, that you have saved us. When all was lost, you saved us. That indeed, as in the fairy tales, that there is a beauty and all seems lost, that you indeed come and you kiss us and wake us up. And all is made right. Lord, we look forward to the day where you will bring the already to culmination and the not yet will cease. When your kingdom comes and we dwell with you forever and ever, where we will truly flourish and have true joy. You are our joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.